This is Coda Radio, episode 452, for February 7th, 2022. Hey, y'all, come on in now. This is Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining me with his trucker hat. Oh, hang on. <laughs> it's our host. <laughs> Mr. Dominic. See, this what happens. People miss the live stream. They don't even know what I'm talking. I mean, they they get probably part of the joke, but they don't get the full, you know, the full illustrious Mike Dominic, you know, the full flavor Mike Dominic. Switch your Tim Hortons to decaf and calm the hell down. All right. (laughs) Tim Hortons. Hey, man, you know, I live in Starbucks land. You know that. You're so pushy. I live in the land of Starbucks. I don't drink Starbucks. Coffee radio. I have been holding this back for two months. Ask me what brand coffee is in my pantry right now. Uh, hey, Mike, uh, what brand of coffee is in your pantry right now? Great value, otherwise known as Walmart. Which is probably Folgers. <laughs> Let's be honest. Right. It's it's fine. I, I've gotten to the point of coffee addiction where I just need so much. I, I feel like meth heads go through a similar process. This is why I just go for the pills. I just get I just get the caffeine pills, and then I drink something bubbly with it, so that way I can slam the caffeine into my intestinal system as fast as possible. And that's that system works. There was a point in my wayward youth where I chewed espresso beans. Surprisingly hard to get out of your teeth if you have caps. This is what a man who had sleep apnea for eleven years and didn't get it taken care of tried to do. I discovered that Air Force pilots have this type of caffeinated gum that they get to chew. Not good for you. So, of course, I tracked that down and I ordered like a box of it and just started going to town on it and then ended up getting a hole in one of my molars. So then I quit doing that. (laughs) At what point did you start seeing Russian fighter jets around your house? You're like, whoa. Yeah, actually, they were just geese. But I thought they were Russian fighter jets until. Of course, they're not real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Man. Oh, man, I tell you what, the Steam Deck FOMO is getting real. The reviews are out there. The videos are dropping. And uh, I want one now. Did I ask you, are you getting a Steam Deck? I think I pre-ordered two. So there's something about like they're going to email you and you got to confirm your order. What kind of messed up system is this? That is preemptively giving me anxiety. And I don't even think it's to like the end of the month. And I'm already stressing about this email that might come in. And you have like 72 hours or 48 hours or five minutes. You got like five minutes to respond to this email. That's probably what it's probably one minute. You got one minute to respond to this email. And if you don't respond to this email within like 30 seconds, then you don't get your deck. And also, I thought I already paid for it. You did not. I did not. Right. But I kind of mentally thought I had. And then I went and looked and realized I hadn't. So that sucks because I thought I already spent that money. (laughs) So now I'm like preparing myself for like, okay, since the deck was announced, my entire mindset about money has changed. And now I don't want to spend any, I don't want to, I don't like spending money on anything. I've gone from let's buy to, I don't want to spend money. Yep. Now I feel bad about buying the deck. (laughs) I feel like the deck is a good purchase though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually think it could be, I was thinking about it like for, for, People out there that don't have a Linux desktop machine with a graphics card, maybe they're on a Mac or a Windows machine for day to day. Now they can get this deck and they can keep using their 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 work setup that that, you know, gets the job done for them and also experience how far Linux gaming has come. For for us geeks out there, like that's also really great. 
And I also realized the other thing that's going to be fantastic about it is it means I can mess my systems up. I can screw with different stuff. And I'll always have a working gaming machine now. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. I mean, I have been deep into my Switch, but it would be nice to be able to play some AAA games. Presumably, the Steam Deck is more powerful than the Switch. It's a powerful deck, if you will. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's going to be fine, right? Put yourself in the mindset of you and me when we were flying and traveling and staying in hotels. That's so far. Right? And this is a little PC that you could take with you in your bag. Okay, but is Steam going to complain about, like, DRM and authentication and stuff if you have no connection? I think, I don't know. You know, I think that's going to work exactly how it works now with Steam games, because that's all the same. But you are going to get a Plasma desktop, an Arch-based Plasma desktop that they're going to give you access to. And if you plug in a second screen, you can even do, do you can do dual monitors using the screen of the deck and whatever monitor you brought. I think that's pretty great. One assumes, though, that you don't have to, right? If you want to treat this as a console and just, like, plug it into a monitor to play the games with a controller. Like if your hotel room monitor had or TV screen had a working in HDMI, you could totally do that. That just seems really cool. I mean, how do the specs compare to like i don't know like a last gen like an xbox xbone or a ps4 i don't know because i'm not familiar with the specs of those consoles but it's a step above what i think a lot of amd gaming laptops are today with a integrated gpu so it doesn't have a dedicated external gpu necessarily but it has the latest and greatest amd apus which is looking really great plus Valve continues to do a lot of work on the back end to get the drivers in good shape. So the performance, they've really, they've really managed to eke out every little bit of performance for the Linux driver for the AMD GPU. So you got a brand new iteration on that GPU, plus a really good driver stack for it in Linux. So this is where I bought one because I like to light money on fire. <laughs> like The Witcher 3 is a game I want to play. And I have it on the Switch, but I'm told that the Switch is kind of a... Uh... A nerfed version of it? Oh, sure, yeah. Will this be able to play The Witcher 3 and all of its... Uh... I believe so, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and because it's also the other thing that it has in its favor, decent GPU, really, and it's a 720p screen. Now, the reviews are saying it's a great screen, but it's not a crazy high res. So if you can really kind of push the graphics because it's, it's not trying to do like a 1080p or 4K resolution. We will see. Who knows how it'll actually go, but uh, I'm keeping an eye out for that email. And speaking of email, we are still getting a lot of emails about the blue versus green bubble situation, unbelievably. And I don't know if you caught this, Mike, but last week, Google announced it was rolling out an update for Google Messages that supports the iMessage reactions. So it now displays them appropriately in Google Messages. I still don't get it, but sure. Okay. This is outrageous. This is f***ing outrageous. So this entire discussion, the premise has been Apple is the bully. Apple is the bad guy. Apple is making green bubble folks feel like they are less. When a huge part of the problem could have been solved by Google all along on their own platform with their own update. Are you kidding me? Well, I mean, you you know how Google feels about maintaining platforms. And... I just, I can't believe that this was a thing that Google could have done all along, and they just now got to it. 
That is so extremely user hostile. And yet, that's not how this gets covered at all. And nobody's talking about that. Everyone's celebrating now that Google Messages now supports iPhone reactions, and they actually map to RCS reactions now. And yes, I acknowledge this is not the entire problem, but this is a big part of the problem. And it indicates that Google had the ability to solve it all frickin' along. And I can't even, especially when they were on Twitter shaming Apple and calling them bullies for this situation. The, the official Android account called Apple bullies for this. But does this really solve the whole problem, right? Because you still have like the group messaging kerfluffle. Yeah, it's not perfect. But now in group messages, when people do the reaction, they'll display properly on the Android side. It doesn't solve all of them, but it it's outrageous that, again, Google just, I, I cannot, I cannot properly convey how bad Google has screwed this up from all of their different messaging applications, from the way they screwed the pooch with the carriers initially, all of it. And it's all been user hostile. It's been all extremely user hostile from the very beginning. And yet somehow they don't end up getting any of the criticism in this situation. And I know I come across here and now here's Chris again. I'm like the guy that defends Facebook and defends Apple. So I sound like I'm like, you know, pro Apple, but I'm really just trying to advocate for common sense and having a little bit of balance looking at these things. Absolutely. Apple could do more. Absolutely. It'd be, it'd be like minimum for Apple to support RCS. And, and then I think even just maybe like slightly above minimum would be for them to release iMessage for Android. Like that seems like that would be a fairly reasonable thing to do. I grant you there's things that could be done on both sides, but this this has to be looked at from what Google could be doing to help their own users. And we never, ever, ever hold Google accountable for that kind of stuff. With apologies to the listeners who wrote in, I definitely like feel bad if people are upset about the whole green bubble thing and they're being pushed around if they're younger, especially. But I don't know. Apple made a messaging system, right? They don't have to open it to other people if they don't want to. And they clearly don't want to. Google decided to not update their messaging app because they're Google. And that's how they roll. I mean, it's great that they fixed the emoji problem, I guess. I don't see the remedy. Like you said, it'd be reasonable for Apple to put iMessage on Android. I think that would be crazy. Why would they do that? Lock-in is a valid business model. I'm not saying it's a nice model, but it's it's certainly legal. I agree they don't have motivation, but I could see the argument that they've probably gotten most of the value out of that iMessage lock-in effect, that network effect. If you just look at the dominance and market penetration of the iPhone, which again, isn't the market leader, but they've done a good job creating a network effect. But don't you think maybe the, the bulk benefit of that is kind of faded now? And while it's still a benefit, it's not the strong ecosystem lock-in that it was, say, a few years ago, I would presume. You've pretty much reached everybody at this point who's going to go iPhone except for the slow trickle of switchers. Yeah, but, but the benefit is, is the moat, right? It's, and in fact, one of the emails released in the Epic trial, the case they're talking about, or they were talking about in those emails, was parents who have kids that are getting them their first smartphone, getting them to buy the more expensive iPhone rather than take the carrier free Android. And I know like with the SEs, there might be a free iPhone depending on the promotion, but usually there's not. iMessage is a big way to, to handle that, a big form of lock-in. That's a fair point. Yeah, it is a good moat. It's a moat, right. It's a defensive action. That along with AirPods and Apple Watch and the App Store. 
they're all part of that moat. Yeah, and I guess I feel like they have enough moats that they could afford to open that up a little bit because then it, you know, if you're looking at it from a services standpoint, if like iMessage ever starts to play into services, you could see why they'd want to open it up a little bit, like they've done with Apple TV. But until that point, I don't. You're right. There's no business motivation, and Apple, Apple won't do things for their users unless it's also good for Apple. Like if it benefits users and it benefits Apple. They'll do it, <laughs> but it has to, it has to benefit them too. I don't know. Maybe that's how you keep things sustainable. So it's a thing now. Android's rolling out iMessage reactions. Steve writes in and I think Steve's looking for a Python niche. So I thought, okay, let's see if we can't help him out here. Provide a little Coder radio wisdom. We love answering your questions. You go to coder.show slash contact to send them in. We got a bunch of emails because I put them, I put the word out there that we wanted them. So thank you everybody. We're going to do a batch today and we'll do a batch next week. Steve says he's been in the Navy for 18 years, and he's quickly approaching retirement. So he's been teaching himself Python through Udemy courses that he snagged on sale. He wants to get a decent head start, and so he's building a GitHub portfolio. But here's his main concern in his question. He wants to know what areas of technology within Python should he work on, should he learn, in order to land that first junior developer job. What kind of stuff are you looking for when you're hiring a junior dev? And I think he's looking for your insights there. He's worried about intangible soft skills. Uh, he's just basically worried about getting a bunch of book skills and then getting on on the job and like turning it turns out he doesn't know anything. He has to learn a whole bunch of stuff because it's a major life change. He's 41 years old. He's got a family to support. And he just kind of wants to make sure he, he lands on his feet. So I think he's seeking your advice, your insights for what you might be looking for in a junior dev, specifically focusing on Python. Yeah, cool. So awesome. First of all, 18 years in Navy. That's awesome, man. Nice work. I mean, you've got a lot of it already, right? Because, you know, if you have a GitHub and you're you're doing a Udemy course, that's great. I would say right now, the big things in, I wish, maybe I shouldn't say big, but the common things that people are looking for, you know, some sort of API or web development framework like Django is big or uh, fast API. I'm partial to that one, but Flask is certainly more popular as is Django. Um, but really just basic knowing how the frameworks work. If you are thinking of doing a full stack web thing, Jinja or rather Jinja 2, which is the kind of templating front end engine is going to be important. The challenge with this question is that Python does so many things now, right? You could do like Py Python IoT, you could do Python... Uh, TensorFlow for machine learning. I mean, hell, a bunch. A lot of people just run their DevOps scripts in Python. So I'm assuming you mean kind of the more common case, which is like web development, server-side application development. I would definitely look at, you know, understand how async code works. Pick up one of the web frameworks, whether it's Django, Flask, or FastAPI, it doesn't really matter. I'd encourage you to actually take a, a look at FastAPI. It's a little newer, a little smaller. Uh, but I, in a lot of ways, and I'm going to get some crap for this, I think it is Flask, but significantly better, kind of makes up for some of the mistakes. We're well, not mistakes, but some of the legacy baggage that Flask has. Inappropriate? Yeah. But a big one is going to be the Jinja 2 stuff, like I mentioned, because it doesn't matter if you're a back-end developer. At some point, somebody is going to want an admin page that doesn't look like garbage. So, <laughs> And know your tools, yeah. right? Like if you, if you, you know, know how to use the debugger in VS Code, that's super helpful. I'm a little excited about Fleet coming out from Jeperins, but it is not out yet. And those goddamn Russian bastards won't send me a beta invite. So I can't really recommend that. 
Perhaps it's because you call them bastards, comrade. Maybe it is because I filed bug. Bug about <laughs> font scaling on Ubuntu. But he did not like this bug. We don't have bug. We have feature. They said it is not our fault. It is Ubuntu's fault. And they were right. To their credit, <laughs> and they were correct. And I understand that they're not actually from Russia, but I'm American. And if it was the Soviet Union, it still is. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Too soon. I don't, yeah, man, you're, you're on the right track. I would just say, don't worry. Don't get like crazy about, you know, I have to know this framework. Yeah. You're going to go somewhere and, and buy, you know, ironically, they could be a jet brain shop, right? And they might just hand you pie charm. And that might just be where you, what it is. And that's fine. Steve points out, you know, he's got like the how to work in an office skill. He's got that kind of like ability. So what you're really just looking for, Steve, is a way to demonstrate your capability to learn that stuff. That's what I'd be looking for. If I were interviewing you and you were 41 years old and you had a resume that demonstrated you were a competent worker, I would assume that you had all of those kind of soft skills. And then it would really be a matter of, okay, could he get up to speed on what our stack is? Because even if you go you go one direction and they go a different direction, or even if you happen to just pick the exact same stack that they're using, there's still going to be a lot of unique aspects to it. There's always something you'll have to learn at every job. A lot you're going to have to figure out, legacies, decisions, technical debt, that kind of stuff. So what I'd be looking for is to see if I felt like you had the ability to pick that stuff up. So that's what I think you're going to be looking for to, to demonstrate. And I think you are on the right course. Colin wrote in, and Colin kind of is thinking along the same lines. He says, I have some college experience. So I think he's a little bit on a, on a younger end of the spectrum with computer science, but I never finished my degree. And my primary coding experience comes from passing both my Python certified entry-level programming course and the Python certified associate programmer. So here's my question, you guys. How helpful do you find these certifications when it comes towards working in everyday businesses like on a day job, to day-to-day job. My main concern is that even though I have these certs, I'm going to start my job and find myself unprepared to do the work that they are asking of me. This is my first job professionally writing code. My primary goal is to make a good enough impression with the team and in the hopes that they'll retain me after a temporary position and I can go full-time. So he's concerned, okay, I've got these certs, you know, they're decent Python entry-level programmer and Python certified associate programmer. But he's wondering, does this really mean he's ready for the day-to-day job? Does having this cert, learning that stuff, is he actually ready? Yeah, so I am not personally familiar with these specific certifications. I would say if they if the exam was challenging, and then it probably does test something, and that's good. The fact that you're asking if you're ready probably means that you are. I know it's, a, it's an old cliche, but the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? If you're smart enough to know there, or you're knowledgeable enough to know there's things you're not maybe super strong in or super comfortable in, then you probably know more than you think you do. And just the fact that you presumably on your own sat down for those exams means I'm sure you would pick up whatever you need to learn. And I would, I would almost kind of what we talked about with Steve, if you don't know how to write like a pie test test, now's the time, right? If you don't know how to set, you know, make server-to-server REST calls using HTTPX. I would recommend HTTPX. You got to learn the async stuff, right? That's kind of where things are going. Mm-hmm. It seems like you are in the right direction, and I would not be shocked, barring reasons at your employer, if they just make you you know, permanent. Good for you. I think he's thinking along the right lines. That's a good, that's a good indication right there. Really quickly, Trader Brew and uh, Adrian Stein wrote in via Telegram asking... 
for an update on the launch keyboard that I have since it's been a few months. I don't know if you have any thoughts, any updates on your launch keyboard over there. It's been pretty good over here. I, I mean, it's it, it's great. I switched to the blue keycaps. Oh, you did? Okay. We had a meetup here in the studio a couple of weeks ago, and the people that came in the studio, everybody knew this was the launch keyboard. Like, they all recognized it, and most people said it looks better in person than it does on the website. So, there's that. I don't know. I guess people had a bad impression of the photo on the website, but they think it looks better in person. I am very, very happy with it. And if I could afford it, I'd probably have one at every computer. And if they ever make a cheaper version, I'll probably pick another one of those up. I really like it a lot. It makes kind of the perfect addition to the studio. It's still great to type on. I do like also split ergonomic keyboards. So if they ever made a like a launch split, I'd probably pick that up too. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I find that helps with the RSI if I can reposition it. And the other thing I like to do with the split keyboards is I like to split them far enough that I can put like a laptop in between the keyboard or a plate. Nice. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> get a lot of get a lot of keyboard action going there. So I, I still give it a buy, which I paid for this with my own hard-earned money, and I still give it a buy recommendation. The launch keyboard has been solid. It feels like a tank and continues to perform. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 on your account right now. Go there and get $100 in 60-day credit and support the show. Linode is fast and reliable cloud hosting. You got to try it for your next project. Maybe something you want to research, maybe something you want to deploy into production. It's what we use. You know, Linode has been essential, actually. And I love to see them doing upgrade after upgrade. Really, I thought, you know, one a year maybe is what we're going to see. No, no, they just never stop. They just literally are always rolling through the infrastructure, making improvements. My favorite right now is the PCIe MVME storage. It's a game changer for certain kinds of application. Even like our matrix server could make a huge difference. So if that's something that might be appealing to you, having really high IOPS for maybe a particular application, might be worth going and checking out Linode. Go talk to their support, which is great. 24-7, 365 support, phone, ticket, email, whatever you prefer. They're going to work with you. They'll even help you figure out if that MVME storage is right for you. You know, Linode is 30 to 50% cheaper than the major hyperscalers that have these crazy platforms that they just want to lock you into. And when I want to try out an idea, I suppose in the past I may have gone through the hassle of doing a VM on my local machine, but that's, it just feels silly now. I can spin up a Linode machine in seconds, especially if I'm taking advantage of the command line client. That's really the way to go. On my system, I have the UAKE dropdown terminal. I don't know if you remember Quake, but there was that dropdown terminal. I have that on my Plasma desktop. I hit the tilde key, that thing slides down, and I can fire off Linode API commands like nobody's business because I always have it in one of the tabs. I usually have several tabs, and it's always there, in part because that's how we'll also toss files to each other, is we'll use Linode's object storage. Throw it up there, mark it public, send each other a link. It's really useful for that kind of stuff. I'll always take a snapshot on Linode before I do a major upgrade. A couple of days ago, it was time to upgrade the OS on our matrix server. And uh, I started to go through the process and I realized, no, not a great idea to, I should do a backup. And so what I've done there is I'll put the Linode command line client on the Linode machine that I'm going to take care of. Like that week, it was the matrix server. And I'll just run it locally on that machine before I do a, a, an upgrade. And you can just have the command line client initiate the snapshot process. <laughs> it's so cool. I'll be like, oh, right. Nope. Cancel the update. Run the Linode command line to initiate a snapshot. Wait a few seconds, then run the upgrade. And the snapshots are super fast. They got 11 data centers around the world. So there's going to be something close to you or your clients. You know, they've been doing this for almost 19 years now. 
So they figured it out and they just keep getting better and better. And they didn't have to take a bunch of VC funding. So they don't have like these crazy, crazy, like higher goals and all this kinds of stuff. They just stay focused on building the best product and the market rewards them. Go see it for yourself. Support the show and get $100. It's linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 for 60 days on a new account and support the show. Linode.com slash coder. We got some crazy stuff going down in Swift Town. They're integrating Objective C. Oh, wait, no. They already did that. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to try to trigger you somehow. <laughs> but no, actually, uh, so we're looking like a serious, serious commitment to interoperability with C. Like the foundation is adding like a whole wing yeah. to the group to make sure that they maintain compatibility. What are your thoughts on this? It's is uh, super pragmatic. I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, they're making an entire work group focused on this. You know, they want to import C APIs directly, which. Yeah, handle stand C++ standard lib uh, types natively. Swift is... Oh my God, I'm going to throw up. Swift is a nice language. I have to um, write I'm sorry, some... what was that? Yeah, it's fine. It's nice. God, could sorry. you imagine if I could time travel, play this clip? <laughs> it's fine. I, you know, <laughs> but you don't need to rewrite stuff. And sometimes, you know, see, I saying that, I just like blew blew my mind out now. I don't believe you. <laughs> That's younger you. That's younger you not believing present you. <laughs> you know what? It's like one of those really bad episodes of Star Trek where like old Spot comes back and is like, you all suck. <laughs> Let me save the day. Yeah. Let me save you, young Captain Kirk from J.J. Abrams. <laughs> you could static library your way to glory before, but this is just a very practical thing to do because despite what Linus will tell you, C++ is not a bad language. It is just suffering from being used for everything. And uh, there's a lot of code written in it. You might want to use that code, huh? If you want to uh, join the new wing of the uh, Swift working group, you need to be prepared to dedicate 50 minutes per week that you can use to discuss interoperability issues. And you have to actively participate in the work related to Swift and C++ interoperability. You got to either make code, write docs, review PRs, or at least provide design input if you want to have a seat in the wing. Or if you want to perhaps be less commercially successful, but more morally righteous, good new step is still around. What do you think this kind of means long-term for Swift? Like, not this, but this style of decision, this pragmatic style of decision. So now let's take the time machine back, right? Apple and the Swift team, I th- will give them credit. How, how can I put this without starting a flame war? Apple said Swift would be a true open source project, and it basically is, which I'm very impressed with. Yeah, okay. However, they certainly have failed in being significant in server development. Uh, longtime listeners will know I used to financially support the Vapor project, which is still around and still good, but commercially not super viable, at least not with the type of customers I deal with. And that was a server side, right? Server side, like a like a Sinatra or a or a Flask for Swift. IBM had a deal with Apple to make Swift uh, server side Swift a thing, and that was an interesting choice by both parties. That did not work out. So when you say, "What does this mean for the future of Swift?" Well, I think it's a very nice language to work in if you are doing iOS or Mac development, <laughs> and I don't understand why you would use it otherwise, other than, you know, I use Objective-C sometimes for things that I probably don't need to. 
of course, if you like the language and it just makes you happy, sure. But from a practical perspective, I don't know, right? Like, I certainly don't think I could sell an end customer on a Swift web service or a Swift, you know, piece of server-side software unless they're, A, either the type of customer who doesn't care, right? Or, B, I'm not even sure I would want to do that now that I think about it because it's just not that huge of an ecosystem compared to, say, your Python, Ruby, .NET, Java, so on and so forth. It does seem, though, like it's a decision that a project that's operating like an autonomous open source project would make. And that's fascinating. Well, you know, for those people out there that are working in that ecosystem, this is probably great for them. I will say just like one more thing, right? If you if you read the Swift forums, the developers are very sincere, right? They They love Swift. They care a lot about Swift and they want to be writing Swift. So we are beyond the point where Swift is going to like die. You know, we, we joke around about my love of Objective-C. I think Swift is going to have, you know, in 10, 15 years, there is going to be a guy named Mike, not me, but a different Mike, right? Who's like, oh, they're canceling, they're changing my Swift into whatever the new thing is. <laughs> and he's going to be a pain in the ass about it. It's funny, we got an email that I lost because I'm an idiot about PHP this week. And the guy was asking me, do I really hate PHP? I apologize that I don't remember your name because I, I somehow... I don't know what I did to the email. Most of that's trolling, right? But PHP at the time, let's say the early aughts, was basically a dumpster fire because of the type of people writing it. It was always, and I was working in startup land, so it was, you know, hackity hack, hack, hack. You know, but it's matured, right? Laravel exists. Laravel's gotten really good. Facebook, the evil, evil Facebook has done a lot to make PHP better via the hip hop VM and other things. That's kind of what Swift is like. There are passionate PHP open source developers. There is a big company supporting PHP. I mean, PHP is a little bigger than Swift, right? A lot bigger. I'm going to tell you right now, anybody who still thinks Apple's going to like change their mind on Swift is smoking crack. The fight's over. But it doesn't mean that Swift is just an Apple language. If you enjoy writing it, you can certainly write command line applications for Unix. I think they actually have Windows support, although I don't know why you would do that. You could write server-side applications. It's just, again, it would be like me trying to sell someone on like an Objective-C web service. You could do it. I don't know who's buying that that knows they're buying it. Yeah, right. (laughs) So more power to them. I say good. I'm I'm glad they're actually thinking this way. Well, speaking of Facebook, also known as Meta. Not while I'm alive. Boy, they had a rough week. Oh my gosh. Did Did you see their stock last week? Did I see? They dropped like their crypto is what it was. That's, oh my God. Let me explain to you what happened. I saw it. I took off my shirt. I whipped out the Vaseline. No, never mind. Where where, where, where (laughs) were we going with this? You always have it nearby. Here's my theory on Facebook. Is they announced in their earnings report that Apple's iOS privacy change with, uh, you know, the first party tracking stuff. It's going to cost Facebook $10 billion in 2022. On top of that, $10 billion. So that tells you right there, that's how much. Your information is worth, if you're an iOS user to Facebook, all of y'all, $10 billion. So it's a big market. And then at the same time, they also announced that they blew $10 billion trying to build the metaverse so far. It seems awfully fast. That's rough, man. That's Well, that also includes like new Oculus headset development and stuff like that. So Mm, I guess. Okay. Hardware is expensive. Yeah. Yeah. But still, Wall Street sees you blew $10 billion on, on this. And you're gonna lose ten billion on that, and your and your new user signups are down. 
stock price crashes. And I think it's just as simple as that is this is why I think they're so desperate on this whole meta angle is uh, they know that their Facebook ad revenue is going to go down. They're at war with every major legacy media company that's ever existed over it. And, you know, one major political party in the United States. But, hey, whatever. They took it on the nose so bad over the elections. Go Google how much money actually was spent on on ads on Facebook for the election. It's fascinating. It's a bit of a straw man. But, you know, so this just that's rough. So you and I had like a disagreement here. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they're committing accounting fraud because they're not right. (laughs) But. Remember MySpace? Barely. Is this not just the way of things? Because, like, I'm a dad. You're a dad. We're both pretty boring now. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but... Yeah, I'm pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I primarily use Facebook because, one, if you have a business and you don't have a Facebook, weird local business organizations think you're not real, which is a whole other problem. Yep. But basically to share pictures of my son with my aunties back in New Jersey. Ironically, the green bubble problem did hit me several times when a picture wouldn't load correctly <laughs> to the to like the two ants that have uh, uh, Android. Oh, it comes home. I once offered to buy one of them an iPhone just so I could avoid that problem. So maybe I maybe <laughs> I should back down on the green bubble thing. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, you know what? I I'm aware of teenagers. One lives in my house. They don't use Facebook. They use, uh, what's the Chinese one? Uh, oh, yeah, the TikTok. TikTok, right. And uh, Snapchat, which I honestly thought was out of business. <laughs> it is TikTok. It's TikTok, right? That's the, that's the one where they're always dancing and crap, right? Yeah, and Zuckerberg, I think, I guess, and it had an all-hands meeting. And they he instructed the team, the whole, whole wide company, like your all of company focus should be on quick video because TikTok's eating us alive. That seems like a super sound decision for him to make, right? Like, I don't know. I feel like this is kind of the cycle we've seen of these platforms. I mean, LiveJournal was a thing back in the day. Tumblr was until Yahoo bought it because Yahoo is cursed by the pharaohs to never be successful at anything. So you have to sell yourself to Verizon. You know what it is? It's because they made the deal with those early BSD guys. The devil? Yes. <laughs> I like it. I wish we could. T- okay. Our younger listeners, let's say if you're below 25, 30. Are you using Facebook to share content or consume content with your peer group? I'm not talking about aunties. I'm not talking, right? I'm talking about, hey, bro, let's go chug some. I don't know how kids talk today. They have to have a Facebook account if they want to log into their Oculus. <laughs> oh, really? Do yeah. you really? Yeah, yeah. They locked into a face. You got to have a Facebook account to use the Oculus. <laughs> well, that's one way to juice numbers, I guess. I know. And their numbers are still down, even though the Oculus had like its best year ever. <laughs> I feel like that makes it worse. It does, dude. It's rough, man. All right. So I don't know. I'm being long winded, but I feel like this is just a natural cycle and Facebook's not cool for the kids anymore. And that- You're right. The only thing that's different here is that people pretended like that Facebook wasn't going to be part of the cycle. Like, I guess they just figured it's going to be king forever. And not that it's dying, but I'm sure it's it is natural for something else like TikTok to come along. And I just want to like one more thing, right? On Facebook, the content that gets serviced to me the most is liberal auntie and Trumpy auntie going at it because that's like all Facebook is. My relatives, my age or older, just yelling at each other. One one's got her MSNBC clip ready. One's got her Fox News, and they're just. You know, for me, it's actually been so it's been so liberating when I go see family and they tell me about something and I can always just say, you know, I don't use Facebook. 
So I didn't see that. I'm sorry. Oh, it's so great. It's like a superpower. I'm so jealous right now. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. Yeah, let's talk about Datadog. Go to Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. Get a free trial and get some swag. Datadog is a SaaS monitoring and security platform that enables full stack observability. Get a look at everything for developers, IT operators, security professionals, business teams, anyone in the cloud age. Datadog's platform, along with 500 plus vendor backed integrations, allows you to correlate your metrics, your traces, your logs, and security signals across your applications, infrastructure, and third party services in a single beautiful pane of glass. And these capabilities, combined with drag and drop dashboards and machine learning based alerts, help teams troubleshoot and collaborate more effectively. That prevents downtime, that enhances your performance and your reliability. So we've got an exclusive offer for Coder Radio listeners. Sign up for a two-week free trial at datadog.com slash Coder Radio, full word, Coder Radio all together, and you'll receive a free Datadog t-shirt. How about that? It's the best platform out there, and you can get a free t-shirt while you're trying it. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio, and happy monitoring. Speaking of Apple, bane of Facebook's existence, <laughs> they uh, have put the details out there for this uh, dating app situation in the Netherlands. So it looks like after you pay 3% to your payment processor, if you're lucky, it's low at 3%. You're lucky if it's 3%. And you pay 27% to Apple, which you still have to pay. You're right back at 30%, buddy. Yeah. Only, only to punish you, Apple forces you to create a separate app that's only available in the Netherlands. It cannot also do any in-app purchases. It must display a scary sheet. It's bad. That says that this isn't using Apple's secure system. And it also restricts how you can link out to your website, even though that's always been a problem. And you have to submit monthly reports to Apple on every external transaction. And that is my favorite. And they have the right to audit you. (laughs) So Apple is the IRS now, too. Well, it's the EU. By the way, you know who actually wrote the Apple policy for this? Oh, no, I don't. They ha- they contracted out to Victoria Newland. <laughs> <laughs> you got it again. I get it every time. It's <laughs> amazing. Do you have it like on a sticky note, like on your screen or something? Or are you just remembering? You know, wow. Anytime my kid does something stupid, I just put on my headphones, my AirPod Max, because I pay my Apple tax. And I listen to a glorious clip that somebody sent me. Somebody will not be named. <laughs> Man, that's amazing. The commission that's like doing this is called the ACM. They said they're going to continue to fine Apple 5 million euros per week up to a maximum of 50 million. That's less than they spend on vodka for lunch, but keep going. Yeah. I mean, if it's only going to go up to 50, why would Apple even bother? Just pay the 50. I mean, I feel like it, it's not even a fine if it's just kind of a tax at this point. <laughs> Apple's so rich, they don't care. Okay. Did you, did you, the page? Yeah. The little tear sheet that make you put up. I know this is a audio show. If you're driving when you get home or to work, wherever you're going, you have to read the page and the tear sheet they make you put up. It's horrible. This app does not support the App Store's private and secure payment system. Implying that your app is not private or secure. I mean, it's like they just threw the finger up and were like, here you go. I don't know. I love this. I The thing I like about this is because I'm a Twitter troll. And I, I really enjoy, I, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but all the Apple fanboys' heads are exploding because they just realized 
that while Apple is super happy to put up like the disadvantaged people who like made an iPhone app and you know got out of poverty, they're really just a company trying to make lots of money, you know. And I'm like for that. I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I just don't like the hypocrisy of being like, oh, look at all the different peoples and oh my god, this kid made an app. The whole video section of WWDC where they play that like heartwarming intro video. Let's get rid of that and show me your goddamn uh I don't think it's called the K1 if they're a C Corp, but whatever. I want to see a PNL. Right. That's what I want. Yeah, but like kids running in the field during golden hour makes me feel great about Apple. Come on. If you're stupid, I don't know. Be- this is so great. When you go through the documentation, and we'll have a link to the uh, support page at Apple's website where you need, where you can read about this. When you go through it all, it just reeks with disdain for having to even do this. Like Apple Apple just clearly is dragging their feet and they are making it as painful as possible. They are being vindictive. They are a nearly two trillion dollar company that is being petulant. I love it over this. I'm here for it. <laughs> this is the right response. In fact, this is this is. Exa- I mean, people say that Apple went downhill from Steve Jobs. Uh, uh-uh. this is restrained from what he would have done. That's true. Yeah, he would have been like the Netherlands. Is that like a state? It just for like F- you. I don't care. You know, I have to say, in the last couple of months, I have noticed Microsoft. And Apple are getting very aggressive again. Like it came out that Microsoft been like the puppet master behind Epic. Secretly backing people to sue Apple. <laughs> yeah. And Microsoft's playing hard licensing games in other countries like that don't speak English natively. So it doesn't get reported on a lot, but they're over there playing hardball right now in a way they haven't done in years. There's a lot going on these days that these these sleeping giants really feel like they're waking up and starting to throw their weight around. There's almost a weird generational story here, right? Where Apple just kneecapped the out of Facebook, right? And it's back. You know what? Uncle Tim and Uncle Satya have been calm for a little while. Now they're not playing anymore. Google continues to cancel services like it's going out of style. I I feel like Microsoft, we're we're going back to the 90s, right? Microsoft and Apple are just going to be the big dogs. Speaking of Google, you knew it was coming. It still hurts for me to say it, though. It looks like Google is starting to wrap up Stadia, at least the consumer-facing part of it. This has been reported everywhere, but a new report claims that Google is trying to salvage what's left of Stadia by not focusing on consumer video games, but instead looking to make deals with companies like Peloton to create, quote, playable experiences and, quote, online demos. Sure, that's not going to work. And according to the report, it's like a small crew of people that don't have a lot of power inside Google that are scrambling every day to keep it available to consumers to keep it going. They say, quote, there are folks who still believe in the dream of playing stuff like Cyberpunk 2077 on your phone. But one person who spoke to Business Insider estimated that only 20% of the focus now is on the gaming side of Stadia. But do you know who really does believe you should be able to play Cyberpunk on your phone? Who? Microsoft. That's true. Go to Microsoft. What are you guys doing? Yeah, I mean, as a Linux user, the thing I liked about Stadia is that it's all Linux on the back end. So for the game developers to use Stadia, their game needed to work on Linux. So was Azure. I don't know, though. The Xbox ones, I, I don't know what they're using. I, I don't know. I mean, I bet you it's a hodgepodge. 
I bet you it's Windows. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I could even see they have some Xbox boards or something, right? Something sitting on a rack. Oh, yeah. Why not? Why not just rack them up? True. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Google is just as Microsoft is getting its game together, as you as we've just seen with the acquisition of Blizzard Activision. Microsoft is really getting their streaming game. They have so many titles. They are so the Disney Plus now of video game streaming, but they haven't executed yet. They haven't brought it all together. And there's no guarantee Microsoft will. They have good momentum, but they screw this kind of stuff up all the time. I don't know, man. I just was playing uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, which is a slave's flattery to the classic Marvel vs. Capcom 2 from the arcade. In their stream setup? Yeah, in Chrome on my Mac. Oh, okay. You know, I got stuck on a very, very dumb recursion bug that I definitely didn't write myself. Um, Yeah, it was me. And I just popped open Chrome... I can do it in Safari, but it seems to work better in Chrome for reasons. Plugged in an Xbox 360 controller that I still have because, yay, wired is easier than Bluetooth. And uh, yeah, I played a couple of rounds. It, it was, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know why we're doing game reviews now, but we are. I feel like the old version was better, but it has nothing to do with the streaming service, right? It, it, it's a fighting game which requires pretty good latency. Granted, I do have FiOS. So that might make this a bit easier for a lot of folks listening. So like you, I pre-ordered the Steam Deck, and I'm wondering why I'm spending another like five, $600. The thing about the streaming services, if they, they, I, I feel like they still have a lot of skepticism, but I've been really happy. I've tried Stadia. I've tried GeForce Streaming Now. And I did try the Microsoft one, but when I signed up for the beta, they didn't yet have web browser streaming yet. So I didn't get to try that. It's funny. It, it like me. So the one weakness is Microsoft accounts are just as dumb as Google accounts, and I have to have like an instance of Chrome that is only my that Microsoft account because my personal is my gaming one. But I don't know, man. I think I feel like this is in fact the future if the FCC can ever get you know fiber optics everywhere. Well, you can actually do it over Starlink. I've done this game streaming over Starlink. and it yeah, but How much does that cost? Starlink is 99 bucks a month. That's not horrible. No, and I'm getting like 200 megabits. It's not bad. Ooh, really? Yeah. The trick is if you have any obstructions, then your latency and your connection goes down, and then it's not so great. What if you live in basically a prehistoric landscape? Do you have a clear shot to the sky? When the pterodactyls aren't flying, yes. <laughs> In fact, they just announced Starlink Pro, which is freaking 550 bucks a month, but you get 500 megabits down and even lower latency because it's, it's a dish with even more points of contact. It's a dish? Starlink, yeah. It connects up to their low-orbit satellites. So uh, we have a we have a R&D budget, right? Right, of course. Of course, I need two different connections. I mean, so far, we've just been spending it on these crypto developers who are supposedly building us a cryptocurrency, but I don't know, it's been two years and they haven't released anything yet. By the way, where is my Jar Jar NFT people? <laughs> I know, I know, I tasked these guys, but nothing. Eh, smoke and mirrors. <laughs> so you were a Stadia user. Are you going to jump ship to xCloud or whatever it's called? I think so after seeing this. I, you know, and I, you always knew it was sad too. And this is a real problem, I think, for Google. When they launched it, I knew they were going to kill it. Google Wave. Yep. You knew they were going to wave it. And I only bought one game, and I bought that game when I got a gift card. Oh, that's right. Oh, God. You had to buy the games. Oh, it sucks. And who's going who's gonna to go buy $60 games a pop when you know Google's just going to kill this thing? 
So I never really invested in it, even though I think it is the best of the experiences so far. I I think you should download Edge because apparently it's better and give uh, give uh, the X Cloud a shot. I've been meaning to, so I will. Yeah, uh, it's just sad to see it go because I loved the idea that game developers were, you know, it was one more pressure point to get game developers to get their games working on Linux. And ultimately, what I love about these streaming services is I can just stop caring about the GPU in my hardware, in my laptop or in my desktop. I mean, I still like having it in a desktop, but in a laptop, you don't have to make that decision of, do I want to compromise battery life and, and heat, but have a GPU or do I want to have good battery life and low heat, but never be able to game like that's just, or like, do I want to get a Mac, but there's no games for the M one platform, except for the arcade. Like now that just totally abstracts that whole decision your platform, your architecture, it's all abstracted away and you just stream the game from Microsoft's servers and they will be upgrading GPUs for years and you don't have to worry about it. Microsoft is not getting a lot of fanfare for this, but I actually just tried it this week. Streaming a Windows desktop via Azure is significantly better than the alternatives. Yeah, because they're probably using RDP, right? Which is pretty robust. I have no idea what they're using. And they have little presets. I had a, I had Visual Studio set up. I had to install my own weird libraries, but I was rocking in the free world. And you can pay more or less depending on what you need. But yeah, interesting. If you're if you're living that M1 life and you need Windows for stuff, as I do, that's something. the The other uh, streaming thing is we do a lot of negativity on indie development on the show instead of love. You know, indie devs are like, I feel like I'm that last Japanese soldier who didn't realize the war was lost, kind of crying. It's me and the rogue amoeba, dude. And you, to a point. Indie game development. I mean, eventually it's going to be bad because we're consolidating everything. But look at what's happened to independent film production, particularly documentary production, because of Netflix and Disney Plus and other services who are smaller, right? Right. What has happened? There is so much more opportunity to produce more films for smaller budgets, but with smaller scopes and... For unknown actors, for unknown directors, unknown playwrights, or I'm sorry, screen playwrights. Right, right. So I mean, you could say the same for YouTube and podcasting as well. But I see what you're saying. Like Netflix flip, flips the bill or fits what's what Netflix flips the bill, fits the bill. What's that? I saying? think it's fits, fits the bill. But, but I, they I, write I, the checks. Yeah. I would argue one podcasting. I don't even want to touch the Spotify thing because I, I don't know what the hell they're doing. But I feel like the YouTube is is like the bad version of this, though, right? Like. I don't know anybody who does YouTube creation that doesn't feel like they're in a horrible, abusive relationship with YouTube. Yeah. And if you are someone who likes it, tell me. No, they're not out there. They're not. I don't think they exist. No, it's a machine. Right. And I sponsor people who do YouTube stuff. So and just based on like how willing, how easy it is to buy sponsorships. By the way, if you own a small business, forget about Facebook. Find some independent creators that talk to people that you want to talk to, like Jupiter Broadcasting. Buy some ads. Seriously, it's it's the way to go. I've never been more bullish on indie game development. Now, I'm I'm actually writing a game myself. I call it Newland's Quest. Oh my gosh, really? This looks exciting. I got the perfect intro song for you, too. <laughs> I bet you did. Driving off laughing, this is what I'll say. There you go. You just play that in there, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I've got a great voiceover from Nigel Farage. 
weirdly not available in the EU. <laughs> now, kidding aside, seriously, if you are thinking of making an indie game, and I know that iPad money is 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 the is tempting as hell. Think about it. Just think about what if you thought about Linux as a native platform that your game ran on, not to be installed as an RPM or a Deb- Debian package, right? To run in a cloud environment, i.e. Azure or whatever the Amazon Luna, is it they call it Luna? Yes, I think you're right. They they have a similar set, right? Because that's you know what you hit, you target one platform really well, and you're everywhere. I mean, I've I've even done the experiment. I think there's problems with it, but I've taken my iPad, Bluetooth it in a key, uh, controller, and played XCloud on that. I did that with the uh, GeForce Now streaming. It does work pretty good. Well, yeah, all right. Should we stop talking about gaming now? Yes, with apologies to Brussels. Mm. <laughs> also, I want to mention that Coderly is out for our members. So if you are a member at CoderQA.co or at Jupiter.party, the Coderly report is out. It's just in your feeds. It's also available in the members download area if you want to log in and just grab it that way. But if you become a member and subscribe to one of our member feeds, you get it. Plus, you also get every episode of Coder Radio ad-free. And you're supporting the show. So thank you to our members out there. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the people this week? Yeah, sure. Go to DominicM.com. And if you are a Python developer in Florida, you should call me. Nice. Nice. The sec- the superpower. The superpower right there. You just got to figure out how to track them down. But we always, of course, have links in the show notes. I'm on the Twitter, too, at ChrisLES. Uh, we also have the Telegram group for the network at JupiterBroadcasting.com slash Telegram. And, in fact... There is even a Coder Radio Feedback Matrix chat room. God, there is. Yeah. It's not super big, but I'm starting to watch it, so that way if somebody leaves something in there, I can, you know, loop it into the show for us. Got my eyes on it. That's over there, too. We'd love to have you join us live. We do the show Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. And then it's usually out for download about Wednesday midday. And you can subscribe at coder.show slash subscribe. And last but not least, we'd love to get your feedback at coder.show slash contact. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you right back here next week.